You are listening to Revival Talk. I'm Pastor Terry Bailey, and I want to thank you for joining me today on the podcast. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about how we use Holy Communion as a weapon against the enemy. involved in a spiritual struggle. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.12 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. James Gull writes, he says the following concerning these days of increased spiritual warfare. He said there's a lot of chaos, confusion, and many swirls going on in the world right now. There are many competing voices attempting to distract us. Some of this we could flat out call an assault from the powers of darkness. These are the days of increased spiritual warfare, so we need all the tools on our tool belts we can get. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Verse 5 says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So we have powerful weapons at our disposal to overcome the enemy. What are these weapons? Well, we have the name of Jesus. John 14, 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We have the weapons of the gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of discerning the spirits. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Thirdly, we have the weapon of praise. The God of heaven inhabits the praises of his people. Listen to what it says in Psalms 22, verse 3. But you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. We have the weapon of prayer and intercession. James 5, 16 says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We have the weapon of binding and loosing. Matthew 16, 19, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We have the weapon of agreement. Matthew 18, 19, again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. We have the weapon of our testimony. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. We're not called just to survive perilous times, but we are overcomers through the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans eight thirty seven says, yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. First John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. First John 5, 4 through 5, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We also have the weapon of the scriptures. There's life and power released When we speak the word of God against the attacks of the enemy that come against us. I've come this morning with both bad news and good news. But I've come this morning with both bad news and good news. Let me give you the bad news first. The bad news is that the enemy has declared war against you and your family. And it's not really you 
But it's Christ in you that he hates. That's why he's attacking you the way he attacks you. John 10, 10. The thief comes except to steal, kill, and to destroy. In 1 John 3, 13. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. I've come to tell you that if you serve the Lord in this world, the enemy's going to come against you. The enemy's going to come to try to to tempt you. The enemy's going to come to try to destroy you. But greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Let me give you some good news. The good news is, is we overcome the evil one through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the Old Testament scripture from Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. It says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Hebrews 4, 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Why am I talking about spiritual warfare in a communion service? Have you ever thought about communion as a weapon? Think about that. This is a weapon. We think about weapons as being knives and swords and guns and artillery and tanks and, and missiles and that kind of thing. But this morning I've come to tell you that this is a weapon in the hand of the believer to strike a blow against the enemy. We have to be careful that communion does not become more than just a mere ritual. I believe that God has designed this beautiful expression of worship as a time to impart the life-giving power that is available to the believer into the lives of those who believe who have been harassed and maligned by the enemy. Beth and I take communion quite often in our home, in our personal prayer time. When Michaela's here, we always take communion as a family. I'd encourage you to take communion as in, in your home and as a family. Take it in your own personal devotional time. When I was in the hospital and I was in the room. I told Beth, I said, you bring, you bring some stuff up here. We can start having communion in this room. And I'm going to believe God that for my healing, while I, I'm not going to wait till I get home. I'm going to do it right here. So she brought communion. And every evening before she would go home, we would have communion in that room. I believe there's life-giving power that gets released through communion. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Communion is a beautiful expression of worship. See, worship's more than just celebration. It is designed by God to bring his healing and wholeness into the fractured and broken places in our lives. Anybody feel broken today? Is there anyone in this room today who needs to experience his healing? Worship is inviting his wholeness to enter into our brokenness. When we participate in Holy Communion, we're inviting the healing presence of a holy God into the broken places of our lives. We're shattered by situations. We're devastated by sin. We're broken and hurting because of the attacks we've endured in our walk of faith. Things come against us. Things happen to us. Life happens and sometimes life is difficult and sometimes the circumstances of life and the issues of life and the problems we encounter, they affect us and we are fractured by it. 
But when I worship, I'm inviting Him to come into the fractured places of my life and to fill my brokenness with His presence. And in His presence, there's healing. Hallelujah. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 12, Fight the good fight of faith. This is a good fight. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We must worship. Worship is not optional. Worship is not plan B. It is God's plan A. When Jesus stood up at the Seder meal table at what we call the Last Supper at the Passover and instituted the Holy Communion, he was not establishing just another religious exercise. He was inviting us into a time of communion and intimacy so that we could be restored, refreshed, and healed in his presence. Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. Worship is a powerful tool in our spiritual arsenal. And communion is about intimacy. In Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That is not an invitation to the lost. That was an invitation to the church. We're invited to the table of the Lord. Why? To draw close to God, to know him intimately. Why is communion important? Because Jesus instituted the blessed supper to be shared as a witness to the world and as a time of instruction and blessing for the participant. In Luke 22, 15 through 20, Jesus instituted what we know today as communion or the Lord's Supper during the Passover Seder meal. And the meal remembers when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And on the night before they were freed, God instructed the Israelites to smear blood on the doorpost of their homes so the death angel would pass over their homes. And in this supper with his disciples, Jesus explained the purpose and the power of the new covenant. His blood would cause spiritual death to pass over the life of his followers. Through his blood, we would gain eternal life. John 3, 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What Jesus was explaining at communion was the very fulfillment and the final expression of the blood covenant that was to be found in the New Testament. The blood of Jesus was to be the atonement for our sins and the sins of the world. The blood of the innocent animals in the Old Testament along with the blood on the doorpost during the Passover simply pointed the way to the blood of Jesus. For it was on the cross that humankind would be redeemed from sin. The power of the blood released in the new covenant by the shedding of the blood of Christ broke the power of sin and death forever. The dominion that Satan gained through Adam and Eve when they disobeyed his word would be overturned by the power of the blood. This is a weapon in our hands. We overcome him by the word of our testimony and what? The blood of the lamb. So I was meditating and thinking on this message this week. I thought about several things. What is communion really about? Well, first of all, it's a celebration. This is a celebration. It's a celebration of redemption. 
Now, at that Seder meal, that Passover meal, there were four cups. And at different times in that meal, each cup represented something. The first cup was the cup of sanctification. The second is the cup of affliction. And they would pour out ten times to remember the ten plagues that came against Egypt. But the third cup is the cup of redemption, and the fourth is the cup of consummation. When Jesus met with his disciples, he held up the third cup. He held up the cup of redemption. And he said, this cup is my blood that will be shed for the new covenant. They understood that. They understood the blood of the lamb. They understood the blood on the doorpost. They understood the cup of redemption. And he's holding up the cup of redemption. When we partake of this cup, we're celebrating our redemption. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When we participate in communion, we are, are to take it as a proclamation of redemption. When I open this cup, and it's hard to open, but when we partake of this grape juice, the fruit of the vine, we are celebrating redemption. We're declaring to the world, I am redeemed. Hallelujah. Dr. H.L. Wilmington gives a threefold definition of redemption. It is to pay a ransom price for something or someone. Hebrews 9, 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Number two, it is, a remove, it is to remove someone from, from a marketplace of slavery. Number three, it is to effect a full release. Romans 3, 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, 14, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Daniel B. Pakoda defines redemption as deliverance from a state of bondage by payment of a price. What happens when we're redeemed? Well, redemption refers to salvation's provision which buys back what has been lost. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse from us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. I want to tell you, we're not cursed today, but we're blessed. Can you say amen? We're no longer a stranger to the covenant of promise. Look at Ephesians 2, 12 through 13. That at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. We're no longer strangers to the covenant. We're reclaimed from the enemy. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We celebrate redemption because we're no longer forced to live in the dark because we have been transferred into the kingdom of light. Colossians 1, 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Now the only way God could redeem Fallen humanity was through the blood of the eternal Son of God. Humanity was in need of a Redeemer, and redeeming costs something. Every time we come to the Lord's table, we're preaching the message. What is the message? Jesus died for us so that we could know the joys of sins forgiven. Jesus is my victory. I'm going to say that again. That, you missed that. Jesus is my victory. And he's paid the price with his own precious blood that your sins could be forgiven. 
I love Isaiah 118. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So today, we stand at this table and we celebrate our redemption. And we celebrate the defeat of Satan. Think about that. He's defeated. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Second thing that I really thought about as we celebrate communion is it is an opening to revival. So what does communion have to do with revival? When we partake of Holy Communion, we're making a declaration of total dependence on the Lord. Listen, if you just haphazardly open this up, take the bread, take the cup, put the cup down and walk out the door, you've missed the whole purpose of it. Now in some churches they believe this actually becomes the body of the Lord and the blood of the Lord. That's not true. But it's more than just a memorial. It is a declaration of total dependence upon the Lord. You know why we haven't had revival? We've prayed for it for years because we're not willing to pay the price for it. You know why? Because revival costs everything. If I can't be inconvenienced, I wrote a poem one time about revival. I said, we want to have revival, but we don't want it to last too long or be too loud. And please don't go over 12 on Sunday, Lord. I'll just preach on. Y'all got real quiet. To say we need revival is an understatement. Divine intervention is our only hope. Psalms 85, 6 through 7, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Dr. Frank DiMaggio writes, When we use the word revival renewal, we simply mean an intensified activity of the Holy Spirit on hungering and thirsting believers. As we surrender to his lordship and depend upon him for our strength, a dynamism of the Holy Spirit is released in us when we partake of his body and blood. The new covenant releases supernatural energy into our lives through the blood of Jesus. And we need a visitation of God's spirit in our personal life, our family life, our church family, and in our nation. So we must make Psalms 85 verse 6 our prayer. Will you not revive us again that we may rejoice in you? How many of you rejoiced at the gas pump this week? Did you get out and say, oh, praise the Lord, I'm paying $4.09 a gallon for gas. Yeah, it went up. I bought it on Wednesday for three eighty-six. It was four oh nine on Friday. It was four nineteen the next day. There's no end in sight to this of where it will go. Of course we didn't rejoice. We blamed it on somebody. That's all I'm going to say. There's not a lot of rejoicing. Anybody heard about the baby formula shortage? Did you ever think you'd see a day in America? Land of plenty, that there'd be a shortage of baby formula? Think about it. We need revival so we can rejoice. My last point is this. When we partake of this meal, it is a proclamation of the Lord's return. 
1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Listen to what he says. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When I hold this thing up, I'm saying Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And we need to preach that because that's the blessed hope of the church. The next greatest event on God's prophetic time calendar is the rapture. Well, you know, Pastor, I saw somebody on TV and they was preaching against the rapture. Turn that off. That's not true. I've come to tell you this morning, Jesus is coming. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 19. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. And in the next verse he said this, he said, Comfort one another with these words. I've come to tell you this morning, when we raise the cup, we're declaring that Jesus Christ is coming back just like he said. Hallelujah. We must be ready. I love the words to the old song. There's something about some of these old hymns. They, they're so theological. They're so rich. I thought about these words. It's from the old hymn, Jesus is coming soon. Listen to what it says. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies. Going where no one dies. Heavenward bound. I'm not looking. I'm listening. I'm listening for the shout. And I'm listening for the trumpet. Jesus is coming. And he could come today. And I pray with the apostle John. Even so. Come quickly. Lord Jesus. He's coming back, just like he said.